Good to see you this morning. Uh, we're starting a new series uh, entitled Don't Believe It. Shout, don't believe it. And what we essentially mean by that is that there are various messages that we are taught in life. Sometimes those messages come to us out of the households in which we were raised. Sometimes uh, those messages come to us even out of the church, uh, draped in uh, some form of theology. And sometimes those messages come to us uh, out of culture. And these various messages uh, are meant to help us. But as we internalize them and begin to believe them, what we discover is that they stand in the way of us becoming our best selves, of us living out God's greatest purposes for our lives. So over the next several weeks, we're going to look at some of what these messages are. And uh, so we're kicking off today. The other thing about what I want to do today is... Uh, it is going to be a continuation, even though we're starting a new series, of the message I taught last weekend. So if you were not here last weekend, uh, get to our website or pull up the app. Make sure you uh, check into that message. So you really need to get both parts of this. So would you stand, please, just on a reading of God's Word? And if you've been here for a while, you know that um, I'm in this season where I just keep returning to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Because I think it just has a lot to say to us in uh, this contemporary culture and day. Jesus is speaking. Here's what he says. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Everybody shout amen. amen. Please be seated. If you were here last week, you remember that I talked to you about uh, the challenge of, of uh, waking up in the midst of a culture that is so horrendously polarized and divided with such ugly discussions taking place from all over the place around race and um, uh, politics and immigration and violence and all of this. And how the media is in the midst of all this stuff and the toxicity. Everybody shout toxicity. And just how I was just glad to get to church. Because I could look out here in this remarkable diversity and just remember, despite what I see on TV, God is doing a great work in the world. Let's celebrate that. That's just good news. And, uh, and I told you about how I was tempted uh, uh, and I, it is the message that I want to lift today. And that is that this culture will tempt us to, and if we haven't said it out loud, many of us have thought it. And here's the temptation. That we will find ourselves thinking and believing that we can't make a difference in this time. You'll... You are, some of you have actually, in your, you've thought it. You just said, my, this is so horrendously, I wish I could do something about it, but I can't do anything. You said, it's just so complicated, I'm just going to keep my head down, and I'm just going to do what I can, but uh, in my little world, I don't want to see about it, I don't want to hear about it, and I wish, well, I'm just powerless in the midst of it. Shout, don't believe it. Don't believe it. Because Jesus says, especially to those who are his followers, that I have empowered you and authorized you 
not just to make a difference, but to be the difference. Tell the person next to you, you can be the difference. In your small part of the world, in your house, in your community, in your section of the workplace, uh, you can be the difference. So now, Jesus lines this up in the Sermon on the Mount. Really, from this point forward, he's talking about how his followers should be the difference. I just want to highlight these two verses here. The NIV version of it uh, essentially says, you heard me read, Jesus says, Blessed are those whose hearts appear. You know what he means by that? Here's what he means. Blessed are those whose heart is not filled with toxicity. The toxicity of sin and all of the stuff and all the ways it expresses itself. Whose heart is pure? For they shall see God, is my translation, for they shall see God moving in the world around them. Then he says, Blessed are they, those who work for peace. Shout peace. peace. Now really the word behind that Greek word is this notion of shalom. And so he's not just simply talking about the absence of conflict. The way Dr. King said it, he's, uh, it's not simply the absence of conflict. It's the presence of justice. It's kind of implied there. He's really talking about this notion of, 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 of a work of healing that when it is fully completed... That the creation and human community itself uh, will be all that God intended for it to be. Now, let me put a pause here. For those of you who tweet, this is tweetable. (laughs) No one can truly work for the peace that God wants to bring about upon the earth, in your family, in our world, unless you have first fully submitted your life to the ultimate source of peace, and that's God himself. This is what Jesus is suggesting here. And when we do, then we become a part of God's work to bring peace. This is the place of those who work for peace. For they shall be called. The children of God. Ask the person next to you, do you work for peace? I love the way the new, the message version renders these same two verses. It's beautiful. Look at, look at how Eugene Peterson translates the Greek because he tries to pull the nuances where text was written in the Greek. He tries to get to the nuances of it. And so, so here, here, here's how he translates the first one about being pure in heart. He says, you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then, you see, you can see God in the outside world. Get your inside world put right. And then he says, you are blessed when you can show people, based on how you live, you can model it for people, you can demonstrate it, right? You can show people, what? How to cooperate instead of compete and, or fight. He says, then will you discover who you really are inside of the family. So say this with me. Say, say God, help me get my inside world right. Then I will become a, a model for people 
how to cooperate rather than compete and fight. And then uh, it'll be evident to people that I'm a child of God, participating in the work of peace. Well, how do we do this? Somebody shout, how? Boy, you guys ask such great questions. The first thing that we need, we need to internalize the love of Jesus in our own lives. Everybody shout, internalize the love of Jesus. Now, you know, in Romans uh, 5, 10, there's a verse I want to look at here, but I have often quoted the verses leading into 510. It's one of my favorite verses. It's, for God demonstrates his love for, for all of us that, that while we were yet sinners, yet powerless, Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. That includes you. That includes me. And then here comes this fascinating text in verse 10. Listen to what it says. For if while we were God's enemies, everybody shout enemies. Boy, if you're writing, you want to circle that word or write it down. Uh, the suggestion is that in our fractured, broken life prior to meeting Jesus Christ, uh, it is the sin within us that makes us, in a sense, God's enemy. He says, but if while we were God's enemies, we uh, were reconciled to him, how? Through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved? Through the life of his son. Now, here's the point. God so desperately wanted to be in relationship with us and not allow the brokenness in us to separate from him. That his son gave up his life to bridge the difference. What I'm saying to you is that everything else I'm about to teach today really hinges on you not just kind of understanding this intellectually or having an academic perspective. I want to suggest to you that it really hinges on your internalized just how powerful that truth is in your life. Say this with me. Say, Jesus, Jesus. come alive in me. me. Say, "Jesus, Jesus, let your love come alive. In me. In other words, you've got to, you've got to be able to, to, to it's got to move from academic to, 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 your, to, to, to knowing it right in here. There was a fellow by the name of Francis Assistis. He, uh, in the early days of 1200s, uh, lived in France. He grew up a wealthy kid. In his teenage and young adult lives, he did all the things that his colleagues did. He, Chased after ladies and spent his money and had a wonderful time. But then ultimately, if you call that a wonderful time. And then ultimately, some people say, yeah, that's a wonderful time. All right. (laughs) 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 Then ultimately, he went to war twice and came back and Started, he was selling his father's goods and manufacturing goods. And one day, a beggar walked up to him. I don't know what was unique about this beggar. It happened all the time. Maybe it was that in this particular case that Jesus was uniquely present in the beggar. I don't know. Something something happened. The beggar walked up to him and asked him for some alms. and, And then when he walked away, something clicked 
in uh, Francis' heart, and he ran after the beggar, stopped him, and emptied his pockets. And the scholar says from that day forward, over a period of time, he began to, uh, uh, Francis began to grow uh, with a great sense of despair about the world. He saw war. He saw wealth over here, but all this poverty over here. And he saw the dying and it began to make him question his faith. Listen, the fact of the matter is the craziness in the world around us, let's just be honest. Man, it, it, it causes us to raise some tough questions to God. And so he, he questioned his faith, and, 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 and the scholars tell us that he went in, he started, he, he went in, he started seeking the face of God. I want to declare to you that, that if you're in a moment of despair, if you're feeling like, I'm just going to throw my hands up, you're feeling like, there's nothing that I can do, that's a good sign that you need to begin to seek the face of God. Now, let me just tell you what that means. That's church language. Let me throw it out of the way. Here's what that means. What that means is you ought to wake up every morning and say, God, if you're real, I need you to reveal yourself to me. God, I need to see evidence of your power. God, I need to be reminded that I'm in the middle of your purpose that you still sit on the throne. Will you show up in my life? What a grand thirst you begin to seek after God. Look for him. That was what Francis did. And the story goes that one afternoon in prayer, you see, when you seek after God, God declares, if you seek for me, you'll find me. And Francis was in prayer, and he had a vision. And it was a vision of Jesus on the cross. And he saw Jesus dying on the cross, bloody. And then that dying Jesus looked at Francis. And the look in that dying Jesus' eye was full of so much love for Francis that suddenly... Something was born in his heart in that moment. Suddenly, it, 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 it became more than a theological thing. He, he, he began, he, he experienced in his heart a little bit of what it meant to know that the Savior actually wasn't just dying for billions of people, that he was uniquely also dying for Francis. And in that moment, he internalized the love of Jesus in his heart. And it radically changed the rest of his life. He started a Catholic order. And then they said, look, we're going to live like Jesus and serve like Jesus. And they, 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 they opened up places all over the place and, and took in the leopards and cared for them. And the poor, they cared for them. It grew into tons and tons of people all over the world. And sometime uh, later, some of those followers came over here and established a city and named that city for this great man of love, Francis. We know the city as San Francisco. Hey. Tell the person next to you, you can be the difference. You can be the difference. When you follow Jesus, you can be the difference. He has authorized you. He's empower you. But it begins with this notion of internalizing his love. The second thing it requires, wow, is uh, to practice radical hospitality. Now just tell the person next to you, wake up, it's about to get good. Tell them, wake up. <laughs> 
that, 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 that insight sign sounds so benign. Practice radical hospitality. Well, you know, Paul is, uh, is writing the book of Romans and, and he spends the first 11 chapters laying out the meaning of Jesus' death and why we ought to internalize and, and his love and be transformed by it. And then when he gets to chapter 12, he's finished with the theology now. And he says, now, 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 now if you've really been caught by the love of Jesus, then, then you ought to, you ought to, you ought to go live like him. Listen, 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 listen. When I was a little boy, I was raised by my granduncle and auntie. You know this, if you've been around. And my granduncle, when I came around in his life, he was in the 60s. And earlier in his life, as a railroad worker, he had fallen and he had broken his back. So the result of that, it affected how he walked. He walked, he, he, he used to kept his legs apart, and when he walked, he walked like this. And I'll never forget it as a five or six-year-old. I so admired my granduncle. I so loved my granduncle until I, I wanted to be just like him. And so much so that I wanted to walk like him. Come on. Never mind the fact that there was no swag in his walk. I, I, I wanted to walk just like him. And so as a seven, eight-year-old, I started walking. And what Paul is saying in chapter 12 is that, is that you ought to love Jesus so much. You, you ought to admire what he's done in eternity so much that you, ought to, you just ought to want to walk like Jesus walked. Live like he lived. And so he says, well, how do you do this in such a toxic world then and now? Well, Paul begins this uh, practice radical hospitality he says, now what I'm going to teach you is so radical. I've got to make sure that I establish an insight up front. So in verse 9, he lays down the fundamental insight that he wants you to remember. Here's the fundamental insight. Let your love be sincere. Don't fake it, he's saying. Watch it. And here's what he means. So then he says, hate what is evil. And cling, shall cling, to what is good. Here's what Paul is saying. What I'm going to tell you is so radical, I need to say up front so that you don't misunderstand. What I, I'm not telling you, hate what is evil, he's saying. Cling to what is good. What he's saying is, don't misunderstand anything I'm going to say later. Because the point is, I'm not telling you to compromise your values. Hate what is evil, see, cling to what is good. I'm not telling you to water down your convictions. No, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. I'm not telling you, come on now, to short circuit the principles that you organize your life by. No, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. What he's saying is, I'm suggesting to you that when the culture tells you that you cannot radically love people unless you endorse every aspect of your life, uh, Paul is, I'm just telling you, don't believe it! He says, Jesus on the cross is about a, a God who radically loves us, but doesn't endorse every aspect of our lives. As a matter of fact, he rejects the destructive stuff that we do. Oh, I like to use the scale to help you to get it. Think about this. In the context of life, if you was to put my sin, my brokenness on the scale, 
My sin, my brokenness would do this. And the scale would do that. But Jesus says, oh, Herman, I can't leave you like that. He says, I see your sin. I see your brokenness. I see the stuff that you've done and will do that's destructive. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to let that have the last word regarding my relationship with you. Here's what I'm going to do. Come on now. Jesus says, I'm going to take my perfect life, my righteous life. Come on now. And I'm going to put it on the scales. And when I put my righteous life on the same scale for you, watch this. Jesus' righteousness outweighs my lack of righteousness. Jesus' goodness outweighs my lack of goodness. And Jesus said, wow, you've got a destructive part of your life. Come on now. I don't want that to have the last word. My radical love will have the last word. That's how we turn from enemies to be part of his family. Isn't that amazing? And so what Paul is saying is that we should love like Jesus. But he says, that doesn't mean compromise your values. Water down your conviction. But practice radical hospitality. Okay. In order to get this, tell a person on the other side of you, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. Tell them it's about to get exciting. It's about to get exciting. You got to look at the Greek beneath the word hospitality. Because the Greek word beneath the word hospitality, I think they're going to throw it up here. Come on now. Is, is the word phileo zenian. Phileo is another Greek word for love. For example, it reminds you of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, phileo, love. Uh, Zenian, or Zeno is the root word, right? It, it means stranger. It can also be translated foreigner or immigrant throughout the biblical text. It's translated in all those ways. In this particular case, it's translated stranger. So, for example, uh, xenophobia, Phobia is fear. Xena is, is fear of the stranger, fear of foreigners, right? All right, so phileo xenian is the Greek word for hospitality. And what it means, watch this, is the love of strangers. Whew. Whew. Get your pins ready. All right, here it goes. Shout, love of strangers. He says, he says practice the love of strangers. Oh, we should get excited about that. You know why? Because every one of us in here is a stranger. And the reason why we are all strangers is because every one of us is strange. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Every one of us is strange. Go ahead, tell the person next to you. I'm so glad. Just say, I admit it, I'm strange. Just tell them. Isn't it good to come to church? You can admit it. Uh, then tell another person, but don't worry, you strange too. You strange. <laughs> you strange. You know, strange. What makes us foreign, unknowable. It, 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 it's, it's the things that, about our lives that confuses other people. It's the thing about our lives that causes other people to scratch their head. 
It's the things about our lives that makes it hard for other people to know that dimension of us. For example, if you raise teenagers, you know that they can be strange. And if I have any teenagers in the house, uh, uh, you know, to you, your parents are When I'm having a bad day, I go home. My wife knows me well. When I grew up in Cachata, Louisiana, one of the things that my mother used to do for me is she would bake a pan of cornbread. And she'd, I'd get some milk. My grandmama used buttermilk, but it was too sour for me. I'd get what they call sweet milk. That's regular milk I'll drink. Whole milk. And I'd crumble that bed up in the milk. I might sprinkle a little sugar over it. And I'd have a wonderful. My wife knows it, so if I come in having a bad day, she says, you want me to bake you some cornbread? Yes. And wasn't he cute on that video, by the way? His, oh, anyway, sorry, I got distracted. <laughs> got distracted, sorry. <laughs> so I'm eating my cornbread and milk. And my daughter, who's 15 years old, she comes in. She, she's tried it only one time. She said, Daddy, you strange. <laughs> She said, I don't understand how a modern American of average intelligence who lives in San Francisco Bay Area in 2019 could eat cornbread and milk and actually enjoy it. It makes me scratch my head. My daughter said, you strange. Strange. It's a part of you that you try to often control and doesn't like that temper that just keeps going off. And people are trying to figure out why you say what you say and hurt people like that. You know, the part of you strange, you know. It's the part of you that it moves towards perfection. You're a perfectionist and it just makes you get on everybody's nerves around you. It's strange, man. Come on. It's the part of you, come on, that, that, that whenever you're in a jam, you just lie. You just lie about big stuff, about little stuff, about medium-sized stuff. You just lie. And people around you scratching your head say, why are you lying about that? That's not even necessary. It's a part of you that keeps you returning to addictions. And, 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 and you don't even understand it. They don't understand it. They say, look, you got a good education. You all of that. Why? What, what, what's going on? I don't understand. It's a part of you. You grew up in the right house and you got all the right stuff. And yet you're so apathetic. And your people around you say, how can you be that apathetic? Your brother's not apathetic. Your mama's not apathetic. How are you so disconnected and dislodged from life? I don't understand understand you strange we're all strange we're all strangers now Paul announces some really good news because this stretch of text goes from verse 9 to verse uh, 21, 22 this part about hospitality is in the middle this is the heart of the passage and what he's, what he's teaching is two things. He says, guess what? He says, the church is made up of strange people. So he says, love strange people in the church. When you see people, verse 13, when you see people in need, come on now, bless them, right? Practice hospitality. But you got to keep 13 and 14 together. He said, but, 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 so by the way, let me just say, this church, we welcome all strange people. And then he says, but then, because you've experienced the love of Jesus, hopefully in the church, when you're released back into the world, 
You go out in the world with this remarkable capacity to love strange people. Uh, and now this hooks up with the word persecute, right? Bless those who persecute you. Now, here's what he's trying to say. He's like, have you ever heard yourself saying this? I don't know why she targeted me like that. I, I don't know why he's always talking about me like that. I, I don't know why that group is trying to dog me out. I, I don't understand. They Strange. Why are they persecuting me? All right, all right, all right, all right. Notice the word practice hospitality. Everybody say practice. Okay, circle that word. Come on, it's in the text. It's right here. Practice. And then watch this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now he takes those words straight out of Jesus' mouth. That's what he teaches. All right, watch what happens. The word practice, the Greek word, is the same word that translates persecute. And the word practice is better translated chase after pursue what he's saying if you take it in its totality is this when you run into people who persecute you because they don't understand your strangeness don't retaliate by persecuting them back common culture right here talking about 2019 he says here's if you're a Jesus follower here's how you be the difference watch it chase after them with an uncommon commitment to loving strange people. Y'all ain't listening. I told y'all to wake up, y'all. Come on now. Uh, uh, and he said, if you love them that way, come on now, you'll find out that they yelling your faith. Before you know it, they're going to start running from you. But that's all right. Chase after them. In verse 20, he summarizes it. Verse 20. Watch this. I'm backing in my third point. He says, so when your enemy is hungry, feed him or her. When they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Chase after them with this uncommon commitment to love. And when he's saying, it'll be like putting coals on the head. In other words, you're going to confuse them. If they were a computer, their computer board is going to because they say, you're supposed to be my enemy. You're supposed to be treating me in some way. You've got to give me another reason to keep hating you and be angry with you. But you just keep loving me and loving me and loving me. I'm confused. <laughs> All right, here's the summary. I'll summarize it in the name of a point. Here's what Paul is saying. Watch it. You want to be the difference in this culture at your job, in your house? Watch this. Don't demonize people who you disagree with or dislike, humanize them. You want to write it down? Don't demonize people who you disagree with or dislike. Humanize them. They're hungry, feed them. They're thirsty. Give them some work. The short way I want to say it because you want to tweet it. I know you want to tweet it. Don't demonize, humanize Let me tell you a story. Uh, Jim Fallon, you know Jim Fallon, don't you? The, the, the talk show host at night. And he, uh, he did something. He always doing stuff. Robinson Canoe. 
used to play for the Yankees. His, his write-up. Last year, Jim Fallon set up a cardboard image. This is him right here. Took his picture, made it into a big cardboard image, life-size, of Robinson Cano in New York City. Robinson Cano is the all-star second baseman who left the New York Yankees to play for the Seattle Mariners. New Yorkers were not happy about this, of course, kind of like us and KD. Anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> and Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon, say focus, Hammer. Jimmy Fallon knew that when the Mariners first played in the Bronx and, 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 and Robinson would come back for the first time, the city would unleash its collective tongue and give him a hearty boo. So, Fallon set up a cardboard image of Mr. Canoe on the streets of New York. And then he invited the New Yorkers who passed by to practice their boo. <laughs> so, of course, the New Yorkers were delighted. They looked at the cardboard image and they started shouting, go back to Seattle. One person said, we don't need you here. You're no longer welcome here. Boo! Boo! But what they didn't know was that standing behind the life-size cardboard image, y'all ain't listed to me, <laughs> was Robinson Canoe. And suddenly, he stepped out. You see the picture? And when he stepped out, come on now, stuff shifted. In the moment of recognition, come on now, everything changed. One guy goes from mid-sentence saying, you stink, to, hey, Robbie. <laughs> oh, how you doing, man? Welcome back to New York. Another guy's in the middle saying boo, and he steps out, he goes from boo to <laughs> and, 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 and another guy turns red and says to him, uh, uh, listen, I'm not going to boo when you come. I'm going to root for you, man. <laughs> I'm going to root that you really play well, but don't win. <laughs> and everything changed. What happened? See, it's easy to scream at a two-dimensional object. It's easy to take a whole group of people and wrap them in. All of the rich, all of the poor, black, and the white, you know, the gay, the straight, come on now, the right, the left, come on now, the public, all that. It's easy to just wrap the folk into and, and just put them in one place and scream at them and yell at them. And you are the reason for why I'm having such a hard time. But, but, but what Paul is saying, if they're hungry, feed them, he's saying, don't demonize, humanize. He's saying, the moment they stop being a two-dimensional image and they become flesh and blood, come on now, usually there's a change because suddenly you've human. In other words, you know how you humanize people? Ask them to share with you their story. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, here's an insight. Write it down. Uh, uh, behind every argument 
a hostile act is a story. And embedded in every story is either a pain, a fear, or a great need. And, 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 and listen, this works across the board. Come on, guys. Uh, 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 when you, it's the, 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 the parent who's arguing with, her, with his or her uh, young adult child, and they just seem to be so insubordinate and disrespectful. Wait, parent, I know, I know you want to cut them out of the wheel. But before you do, understand, there's a story behind that. There's some pain, there's some fear, there's some, there's some, some, some great need, and, 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 and you're called to try to figure it out. The, 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 the adult parent, who child, child who cannot get along with that adult parent, and the adult parent seems to be so mean and so hurtful. Well, before you write them off as just the epitome of hatred, understand there's a story behind that. There's some pain, there's some fear, there's some need. You, you, you try to humanize it. Listen, let me just put it for a moment in the political sphere. If you lived in Pittsburgh and your grandfather worked at the same industry, your great-grandfather, your grandfather, and you, same industry, and you woke up one day and it was gone. And the economy of your little town collapsed. And 40% of the men are strung out on drugs. And they tell you, where did the job go? Overseas, globalization. You may not agree with their position on globalization and immigration. But out of respect, out of curiosity, humanize their story. If you're African-American... You know why? Excuse me, the Pittsburgh, because they've been wounded by that slice of life, and it affects how they see things. If you're African American, and you watch the young man kill 22 people in El in, in El Paso, and wound another 24, and after doing all of that, he walks out with his hands up, and nothing happens to him but arrest. Now, if you're an African American and you see that. You, 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 you're impacted by the woundedness of history on your story. And you can remember all of the stories you've been reading about and you know about it. Something that has happened in your family over the last 20, 30, 40 years where African Americans have approached police and they put their hands up and they're shot dead. Now, maybe they're totally two different things, totally two different circumstances. But if you sit across the table with an African-American who is raising this question, you don't have to agree with the conclusion, but at least out of curiosity and respect, humanize the story. Well, what would it be like if you were in those shoes of the guy in Pittsburgh or the African-American? If you're wealthy and you run into a fella who's on disability government and you know he can work he does too he's just scamming the system you, you might understand why this wealthy person will say I don't want the government to keep taking my money I'm gonna keep my own money and I'll use it how I'll help people who I can I know you see why because that encounter wounded that person and so he's seeing life through the sights. Now, never mind the fact that there are tons of people on disability who desperately need it. 
You don't have to agree with the story. You don't have to agree with the conclusion. But could you put yourself in his shoes just for a moment? Humanize his pain. Or her fear of being misused, taken advantage of. This is Paul is saying. Listen to the other story with respect. Humanize their pain, their fear. And then be committed to building bridges. Somebody shout, wow. Wow. You see why I said Jesus has to be living in you for you can do that? See why I said you have to desperately ask for Jesus to come alive in your life? To know his love for you so you can love others? All right, so now you need prayer. All right, here's how I'm going to end because I'm out of time. I'm going to end it. Prayer makes a difference. It opens your eyes to some stuff. So, so in my response to the message, I'm going to ask you to pray, to commit to praying, Lord, help me to love strange people. And then I'm going to suggest that you take the prayer of peace, put it up here, and I'm going to ask that when you do that, every day, it's only going to take you about four minutes, pray that and then pray through this prayer because it gives you direction. Watch it. Look what he says. Lord, make me an instrument of peace. Watch it. Where there is hatred, let me not demonize, but humanize. So love. Where there's injury, humanize, pardon. Where there's doubt, humanize, be an expression of faith. Where there's despair, humanize, be an expression of hope. Where there's darkness, come on, humanize. I be an expression of light and how I treat them. Where there is sadness, joy, humanize. I'm, I, I, I know that, that God still sits on the throne and, and that he can fix what I can't fix. So I'm going to treat him in a different way. Oh, divine master, grant that I may. Here's the point. Here's how you do it. Not so much seek to be consoled as to console. Oh, come on. You remember? The, come on. So I got some spouses, some boyfriends and girlfriends in here. You get this. You're in an argument and you say, let me tell you what's happening in my heart. And the other person says, okay, tell me. And then you start and they, they interrupt you and they go on a five minute speech. And you say, stop, let me talk. They say, okay, go ahead and talk. And the next two words you say, they interrupt you. And they go on a 10 minute speech. You know Why? Because they're more concerned about their pain, their fear, than they are yours. They're more concerned about you consoling them than they are you consoling them. The reverse, you get it. (laughs) Put the other. Let me console first. Let me be the first to understand. Let me be the first to practice love. You know why? Because it's in giving that we receive. It's in pardoning. That we are pardoned. It is in, here's the hard part, dying to my own selfishness that I rise to eternal life. That's how you can be the difference. And Jesus says, go do it. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Give God a hand, praise.